We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, everyone? Welcome into the OBR Film Breakdown. Your host, Jake Burns, co-host Andrew Spade are here with you, and we are going to hit on what might be end up you know being a short show before we get to the, the mailbag. We want to do the mailbag, but anytime the Browns make some sort of serious decision with their coaching staff or player acquisition or whatever, we got to talk about it. We got to spend time on it. Um, today, the, the the seal broke, Andrew. They, they decided to, to make a change um, with the offensive line, and we'll go through that in just a second, but I always start with my, my opening question to you, which is, what's up, man? How's your day going? Because I think that's important. Like Elmo asked on Twitter last week, like, how's mm-hmm. everyone doing? Yeah. And he got like, you know, infinite answers of uh, things you probably didn't want. But but I got to ask the question. You ask your friends how they're doing, and I'm asking you how you're doing. I'm doing well, Jake. I appreciate you asking. It's uh, good to be with you, as always, um, midweek, Super Bowl week, still ignoring all of the Super Bowl stuff, but excited that there's Browns news to talk about. They have done a great job of bridging this little gap between flaming out in the wild card game and the off season really starting next week to kind of give us stuff to talk about. So hats off really to the folks in Berea for dripping this out week by week, perfectly titrating content all the way through the Super Bowl. They really have done a nice job now that we think about it, providing us something at least minuscule to talk about. Um, but this is big. This is big. So we learned today, uh, sort of middle of the day here, that Scott Peters, the, per- the first piece of news is that Scott Peters is going over to New England to be the offensive line coach there, something we've talked about and made a connection to. We thought there was the idea that Peters could get hired somewhere else, maybe even join Callahan in Tennessee if he didn't want to be in Cleveland anymore in general, and they weren't going to offer him that role. Uh, but the New England connection made sense as New England also hired, they have Elliot Wolf running things now on the personnel side, and they also decided to bring back Alonzo Highsmith from his role down at the University of Miami. So, like, the first thing we got to talk about is that it's sort of a bizarre world now where New England is hiring a bunch of former Browns cast-offs, where the flip side of that, we lived for, like, two decades, which is kind of strange to see, right? It's very strange. It's tr- truly surreal, especially for it to be happening in New England. If this was happening with... There was that period of time a few years ago when Houston was, uh, when Nick Casario first got there, he was vacuuming up all these uh, Browns players. Tavier Thomas is still down there. Christian Kirksey went down there. On and on. A bunch of guys. Uh, and it felt like that that feels a little bit silly because they were one of the 
worst teams in the league year after year, and they were pretty obviously tanking. And so you couldn't really take much of delight in it. But when the Patriots, which have been the, what, Ferrari of the NFL for the past two decades, uh, all of a sudden fall on hard times and are now to the point where the other one today was T.C. McCartney, the quarterbacks, is going to be the quarterbacks coach in New England, was the tight ends coach here last year. So Alex Van Pelt, it seems very clear to me, is building that staff it, the way that he wants it. He's he's getting kind of, kind of carte blanche from Gerard Mayo to, to get his guys. And it's not surprising that a lot of those guys have worked in Cleveland, but it is surprising that the, the Patriots are in a position of hiring guys, multiple guys that the Browns have fired this off season. So yeah. it, it's really, truly through the looking glass stuff, the, the front office stuff, Elliot Wolf and Alonzo Highsmith were both here during the John Dorsey era. They were connected with him. So um, really interesting. And the Patriots are going to be a very interesting team to watch this entire off season. First year without Bill Belichick. And then, Gerard Mayo was on the list for DC here last year. So many names that we know there. Their decision making process. It happened a little bit with the Cardinals last year with Drew Petzing becoming the offensive coordinator. But you're totally right. The Browns, Browns fans now are on the opposite side of this from where we've been for the past 20 years, where now we're not watching other teams' guys come here and fail. We're watching our guys go elsewhere and hoping that they succeed. I, I hope the best for Alex Van Pelt in New England and, and everybody, the whole crew. You know, something I'm struggling with is is a little bit of what you're saying there, which is people, it's a, it's a bit of a phenomenon. I've, ne- I've, I've, I've yet to see somebody taking like, here's what the Browns did, and this is what you can expect from their new coaches, right? Like we just haven't seen anybody from the Brown staff get hired away to another location and then like have those people getting the new Browns coaches build them up. And like you said, I'm hoping that they succeed, but it's, it's just like, it's strange watching other fan bases or people that cover the team, like going through and picking apart what the Browns did on offense, for example, or, or somebody like I'm watching Tennessee people. And this is pretty universal praise the Callahan hire or like talk about why, that's such a great thing. And it's like, well, Callahan can lift. I almost feel like, hey, man, like a little bit of me is like Callahan is supposed to be in Cleveland. It's so weird to see somebody else talking about him. And it is funny to see all of the New England people talking about the ties to the Browns, so on and so forth. It's going to be more and more. And kind of what I'm getting at is I've also seen those same two locations talk about Browns upcoming free agents. Like I saw Tennessee people talking about Nick Harris. I saw the New England people talking about the idea of Harrison Bryant signing there. And I was just like, this is so strange. I feel, I felt so weird about like seeing people look at this roster or look at um the coaching staff and see positive and opportunity. And I always thought we would get here, Andrew. Like I thought at some point the Browns are going to have to let some really talented player go. We have not quite seen it yet. I thought Grant Delpit could be the first one of these that they couldn't afford. They did end up signing Grant. There are some decisions coming on other guys, but like this is probably a glimpse into what is to be for the next few, three, four years of people looking at the Browns roster and the Browns coaching staff as a means for like, this could come to our organization and find success, but it doesn't change how strange it feels to me. I'm like, nah, man, that's like, why are you talking about these guys? Those are, those are Cleveland people. And it's just sort of a strange thing that you've seen 
um, work the other way for so long. I don't, I, I just found that to be fascinating when I've looked at it the past few days. There's such a feeling of magnanimity about it. Like even with the, or I don't know if I pronounced that right, but like with, um, with Harrison Bryant, for example, like if he wants to go to new England and be tight end two in new England in 24, like God bless you, Harrison Bryant. Good. And you know, may, may the fates be with you. Same with, I, I, Nick Harris, I'm a little bit more like, I think he still has a role here, but if he's you a know, pullback, let's get that straight. <laughs> but if he's got a chance to be a starting center, obviously you're not going to stop him from that. So I, I, yeah, I think it's, it'll be interesting to to watch the off season from a different perspective now where the Browns are a team that, that are an attractive source of both coaching talent and player talent. So I, I think it's, it bodes well. I will say it would be cool if somebody would hire Glenn Cook or Catherine Raish for one cool. of these GM positions yeah. so that they could get the compensatory picks because that part doesn't really kick in for these other situations, especially since most of the Browns coaches that got hired uh, didn't have jobs when, when they got hired by other teams other than Callahan. So I, I don't know. I, I think it is, it's a new, it's a new frontier for Browns fans. And I think what would be cool also is to see that kind of sustained success on the field because like there's a little bit of a cognitive dissonance for me in terms of like, it's very clear that the Browns organization is more respected than it has been. We're talking about Andy Dickerson. It seems like he chose the Browns over the Patriots, which is in and of itself a crazy thing to say. Um, so, so they're reputationally, they're much better off than they were four or five years ago on the field. It's still two playoff trips in, four years yeah. two two pretty rough exits. I, obviously they did better back in 2020. I hope you hope. And I think we both believe that over time, all of this good feeling with the personnel stuff does translate into more winning seasons, maybe a division title down the road, those sorts of things. But it is also strange. Like there's a part of me that's like, I part of what's so surprising about all this interest is that I don't feel like, there's they've necessarily proven it in the way that some other teams have you look at what the the lions have accomplished more in the three years that dan campbell's been there than the browns and and you know and and kevin stefanski have in the four years that he's been here in in terms of they made it to a championship game so i i think that that part of it is still something i'm it's not that I'm complaining. It's just that it's part of how, working through it, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I think there's obviously there's levels to this stuff, right? It's not like these coaches you mentioned, Andrew, are not being hired away as like, you know, I guess Petzing was hired to be an OC. We haven't seen a Browns coordinator go on to be a head coach or something like that. This isn't – they're at the very bottom of this tier of like, oh, now teams are seeing some success from the Browns. They're going to start maybe pilfering some players and some lower-level coaches. I think we're at the, the bottom of that now. Like – could Dorsey have two really exceptional seasons and the Browns push the limits of a Super Bowl and he gets hired as head coach? Sure, could happen, right? Somebody could want Jim Schwartz again. It could happen. But um, being at the base level of that instead of being at the bottom of that totem pole is just a perspective shift that um, I should have known was coming. It was just sort of strange to see it happening in real time. And today it was just like you said with McCartney and then obviously Scott Peters, it was it was a sort of an addition thing. It's like, it's been a bit, a bit overwhelming there to an extent. So the other thing I want to hit on was the timing of the decision. So we see a tweet. Um, 
I'm not sure who put it out. Uh, it doesn't really matter. But the first piece of information revealed was that Scott Peters was taking the job in New England. Your thought could be, okay, did the Browns offer the job? Were they ever seriously interested? Or did they sort of slow play the Dickerson thing? Because we didn't have any information on um, Dickerson getting the job until like, I don't know, 40 minutes later. I think we saw some um, uh, the information revealed that he was getting the job in Cleveland. So your idea here could be, well, sounds like Scott Peters made his choice and then the Browns made their choice, right? Like that's what you could think. But I think you hit it on the head, Andrew, before the show, when we're talking through the timing of this, which I think is important to hit on, which it feels like the Peters news just hit the media first, because I think if the Browns really wanted Scott Peters to, to be their guy, it's the only place Peters is coached. He's only been in the NFL since 2020. It was logical for him to take the next step, take this job with a really, ta- I think, a more talented offensive line in Cleveland than New England. It just made sense if the Browns wanted him, he would have been. I felt like this was a choice for Dickerson unless getting left on a no from Peters. I, I don't have any tangible proof of that but I have to feel like it is based on how we learned about this information. And there was a Boston like globe reporter who said that the Browns were getting Dickerson. So I thought the idea here was the Patriots missed on Dickerson. So they went after Peters while the Browns got Dickerson and decided to, you know, allow Peters to leave or whatever. Yeah. I think that's the correct interpretation of things. It it seems like it all played out pretty quickly today and it makes sense because the, the Browns have had a little bit of time to get acquainted with the new staff this week and the Callahan news has kind of been established for a week now. So now's the opportunity to kind of get those last pieces in place because they are, as we know, back in the building, uh, we, we met Ken Dorsey this week. They're starting down the road of, of putting this offense together and, and O-line coach obviously is going to be a, a big part of, of their vision. The fact that they ended up hiring a, a, a candidate too for the offensive line coaching job that they had initially interviewed for the offensive coordinator position is also notable here, I think, in terms of sometimes, obviously, these interviews can be for more than one thing. They probably didn't have to re-interview Andy Dickerson to offer him the offensive line coaching job, but it is still like a a good sign that a guy that got multiple OC jobs is coming here to be the offensive line coach. And I assume Jake probably going to have some pretty significant uh, oomph, so to speak, in the run game construction, because I think we both think Ken Dorsey's role is really quarterbacks and pass game. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? 
You need Indeed. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Buying tickets to your favorite events should not be stressful, guys. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and concerts near you. You can find them last minute with killer deals and their best price guarantee helps you stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for all the fun you've had. So, why would you go Game Time? They have flash deals, last-minute tickets. They're easy to find. Buy tickets for every kind of event in your area, specifically those Cleveland Browns. You get great images of the seats view, which is awesome when you're trying to figure out how the stadium is going to look when you're trying to find that right ticket for the right price. And they have that low price guarantee and event cancellation protection, job loss protection, all of the stuff to help you protect your money. Right, It's the fastest growing ticket app for a reason in the country. You get images of your seats, like I said, before you buy them. You buy tickets in a matter of seconds, and they're sent directly to your phone. All right, So you never have to go digging through your email to find something last second. It is always there. You can put them in your wallet app and make sure to have them up and ready to go. It's important to know you can download that GameTime app, which makes it extremely easy, very intuitive, very fast way to buy those tickets. Create an account and use the promo code OBR for $20 off your first purchase. Again, terms apply. Again, create that account, redeem the code OBR for $20 off. You can do so at GameTime.co. It is not .com, it is GameTime.co, but I would suggest downloading that app, taking advantage of the $20 off coupon using the promo code OBR. Download GameTime today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Yeah, I think that's beyond fair to say that Dorsey has sort of, and if you talk to the people from Buffalo, has passed that role down to to his O-line coaches, so you know, we saw you and I questioned this about, I don't know, was it was it a week ago now that they introduced Dorsey? No, it was Tuesday. Am I losing my mind? What day did they talk to him? Monday. Monday, yeah. And these all run together, man. Um, but we noted that Deuce Staley didn't get the run game coordinator role and they, they labeled out all these things. And we were like, well, they're labeling Tommy Reese the pass game thinker. What did they name him again? Pass game Oh, uh, enthusiast, I believe. Enthusiast. No, it was, I think a specialist, right? Specialist, there it is. There's the word. So it's like they clearly have thought through some of this stuff. So Staley's not going to get that tag, in my opinion. Maybe he gets an assistant head coach label because he's had that in the past. I don't know. But it's clear that Dickerson is going to be the run game coordinator. He's going to retain that title that he had in Seattle. When we look at his track record here, a guy who is ironically with the Browns, so many of these guys in the NFL have just like passed through Berea. These these younger coaches coming up now. It's Dickerson's, I think, forty two. I think is his age. He was with um the a low level job with the Mangini staff, oh nine and ten. So he has been around Berea for a couple of years. He spent a significant amount of time in St. Louis, and then eventually L.A. Hired by McVeigh, kept him on right after sticking around multiple staffs, um, and the move with the Rams, and then. The thing that I found interesting, Andrew, which I did not notice the first time, is that when Shane Waldron took the job to be the OC of, you know, leaving LA and the OC of Seattle, he um, hired Dickerson, but he hired him only as a run game coordinator. You want to walk us through a little bit of that information? Because I, I like, I didn't catch that the first time, and that's pretty significant, man. You don't really see that 
singular title. It's always tied to a person as a position coach. It's just not that popular of a thing to do. Right. So I think the the key here is that the the Ram he was with the Rams for eight years as the assistant offensive line coach from twelve to twenty, which is a long time for a, an assistant to be with one team. First of all, so Good that's Im- that's impressive, right? Yeah. Survive multiple staffs, Jeff Fisher and then Sean McVay. So that's that te- that that's the Kevin Stefanski special, right? As they say. So that's number one. So because he was the assi- assistant offensive line coach, he was available for the promotion to run game coordinator without becoming the full-time O-line coach. And the reason the Seahawks did that is because they already had Mike Solari, which is a name that you've probably heard because he's been around the NFL for four decades at this point. Uh, Started way back in the 80s as as an offensive line coach with the Cowboys, assistant offensive line coach. He's been around a bunch. He's now with the Cowboys again because the Cowboys are sort of, I think, half a football team and half now a a sort of, I don't want to say retirement home, that's cruel, but but a, a sort of a, a, a living center for senior coaches. Let's just say that. Yeah, they're raising the average staff age. Yeah, and committed to it as yes. a sort as a, as a bit seemingly. So, so Mike Solari, longtime respected veteran offensive line coach. Shane Waldron comes over as offensive coordinator, replaces Brian Schottenheimer. You don't want to rock the boat too much, so you keep the offensive line coach. You bring in Andy Dickerson as the run game coordinator, offense, you know, and and so then that bridges the gap. And then Solari's contract runs out; it's not renewed, and Andy Dickerson takes over as the offensive line coach. So he's been a full time offensive line coach for just the two seasons, twenty twenty two and twenty twenty three. Yeah, I just find it very notable that a, that a guy gets that job. Like how important he was to Waldron to bring over, right? And like. Uh, you might ask the question, if Dickerson's this good, why did Seattle let him leave? Well, pay attention to what Seattle's doing with their offense right now with Mike Mike McDonald. Like, they're interviewing, uh, you know, Chip Kelly right now. I, I think they're a little all over the place with what's going to happen offensively for them, Andrew. So, like, I am um, I'm not worried about that. I feel like from what I look at the EPA of the run game he was responsible for and how some of those tackles – came along uh the offensive line came along i'm i'm excited to see what he can do with what the browns have in house and i have to think he will be a large part of helping expand uh the thought process of motion concepts and stuff he worked under mcveigh and under waldron i think that's an exciting thing very exciting the other thing people might be wondering is why did he not go to chicago to join shane waldron in chicago with the bears i looked that up chris morgan is their veteran offensive line coach was there last year and i think the the staff there, including Eberflus, liked what he did, so he's staying under the new OC. So that also is another piece of this. But but yeah, to your point, I think what McVeigh certainly what McVeigh has done, less so Waldron, but but that tree with offensive line and then motion to manipulate run fits has been really really successful. You'll remember it because when the Browns went to Los Angeles in December. They were at sea with those sorts of things. They were being manipulated right out of their shoes all game long. So it's it's not – I wouldn't say that it's a fad. I think it's a very um, successful new approach to using pre-snap motion in the run game to manipulate the, the box defenders in a way that that gives you numbers. And this is this is where my scheme language runs out a little bit. But I, I think that you, you see the success that the Rams had this year – 
with Kyron Williams. And, and it's something that you, you want to get a piece of. And I think that's a little bit of what Dickerson brings to the table. And I think yeah. what you said, the development piece is certainly notable because you had Abe Lucas and Charles Cross, two rookie tackles last year in 22, both start the whole year for them. So, and then this year was just an injury fest in Seattle. So they were plugging guys in from all over the place all season long. But I, but I thought especially their run game was, was fine. I, I mean, I thought it was pretty good considering, you know, like we said, some of the interior of that offensive line they were dealing with and then, and then they were beat up and when the Browns ran into them, they had some, they broke some huge chunk runs and that one as well. Like obviously there's an emphasis on running the football with Pete Carroll and that staff. And I think that he obviously plays the, one of the biggest roles in, you know, the growth of Charbonnet and the growth of Kenneth Walker. And I thought they did a nice job there. So we're going to have to dig into that. We're going to have to figure out exactly what Seattle was doing in the run game and what that looks like coming over to Cleveland. But as far as, Hey, the Browns have to hire outside the building, right? They, they lose Callahan sucks stuff. Who's on the market, even remotely available. I feel like they did a pretty good job here. I, I, I would have preferred this hire over keeping Peters. I don't know if you feel the same way, but I was, it's no secret, and I think you've agreed with me. We've gone through this. I, I favor outside perspective on what they've done offensively. And not, now they got a lot of cooks in the kitchen. Got to navigate all the cooks because there's quite a few. But I'm excited. I think this is the first time I've been excited about what this offense could look like, the shape of it will be, since Kevin arrived, where I was really excited because Kevin was bringing in like the true Kubiak wide zone stuff to a place that I thought really needed it. And that 2020 offense was pretty good. So I'm excited about where this can go and just the different voices and how the, again, the feel of this uh, is going to be, is going to be different on a, on a scale here. So uh, excited to dig into Seattle tape, man, and watch what they were doing. Yeah. I, I echo all of that. Very excited about it. I think we kind of talked at the end of the season about the potential of trying to get some new voices. Well, careful what you wish for, right? Because they have, a room full of new voices now. I, I think the most vocal or the you know, the most senior uh, offensive assistant besides, you know, st- or really in general, Stefanski's the head coach. The next most senior offensive assistant that's still here is Chad O'Shea, right? So everybody else across the board is new. That is going to lead to a very different feel to this offense next year. It's inevitable. And I think this is something that, I saw somebody mention this, and I, I think it's it's worth – I think it was our colleague Pete Smith in his recent article that maybe the offensive staff needed more of this last year, but because they also were overhauling the defensive staff and special teams, maybe they felt like they couldn't take on all of that change in one offseason. I think that's a fair point. I think it's a fair point to say that you could go into 2022 trying to get as far as you could get with the folks that were already in the building and and see what you could accomplish and that the results, even with the injuries, were not what they wanted them to be. So they're they're kind of starting fresh on offense. And yeah. I know that there are things to like and and the fact that the main offensive mind that we both like, Kevin Stefanski, is still going to be running it makes me comfortable. But I, I do think that there was a lot about the 2023 offense, injuries aside, that needed upgrading and so i think this is a this is a path to doing that that to me is more what i see than anything else if we could see it we said it all season long and i i harken back to you know like 
the Joe Woods conversations we were having after games. Like it's there. It's obvious. It's right in front of your face. You can't, you can't keep doing this. I think Kevin thought, okay, Deshaun's healthy. Let's get it going. We can run this offense with the guys we have in house and it'll work and we'll make this thing happen. And so I'm less of the belief of like, I'm not trying to really like totally push that argument to the side, but like, you know, D'Amico Ryan's comes into Houston and they make the playoffs with everybody's new. Right. So like, I, I just, my general hunch here is less like they couldn't do it because they were doing other things and more like Kevin thought a healthy Deshaun was going to be fine. It was going to work out and everything was going to be great. I think this year was a slap in the face of who he's been is not where the NFL is moving. Like they have to evolve and they have to be diversified, different and manipulative to defenses pre-snap and the way he's gone about this. And I have to think he's a, he's a, he's in agreement here. I, I, I can, cannot imagine a world where this is coming from above his head and he's had to hire fire and hire four or five different coaches here. I think he's in agreement with this. They tried to do the status quo. Doesn't work. Doesn't fit Deshaun. Doesn't feel right for their run game, their offensive line. And they know that it's something that was just sitting in front of their face. The same way the defense stuff was just sitting in front of their face. So I, I just am a, the belief that, that he needed, again, it's, it's, it's Kevin's, there's a little bit of ego when you're in the offensive mind. My stuff will work. It will work. I have no doubt. Well, hey, man. You can you can do your stuff still, but there needs to be an, an an influx of other opinions and other things that you look around the league and watch your defense struggle with putting those things on the field on your own side to take advantage of things here. And I feel like he's done a pretty good job based on what's been available of expanding the way that the Browns think about offensive football. So that's kind of where I'm at with it. I think that's a great way of putting it. I, I think that the yeah the the revelation of the limitation of some of the stuff that he wants to do this year has probably been keeping him up at nights i would imagine cuz some of those games there were there were games this year where they couldn't move the ball running or passing and it was really scary to watch because you thought that his offense always provided some built-in answers i just want i want to go back to one point that that i think we we, we it's worth emphasizing here because the 2023 Seattle Seahawks offensive line i know that the browns had injuries but but I think it's worth still comparing where where these players for the Seahawks came from that got the most snaps for him. So uh, Evan Brown, their center, played the entire season. He's a UDFA out of SMU who's been around the league for a few years. Their, their second highest snap player was Damian Lewis, the third-round uh, guard out of LSU. Uh, Stone Forsyth got the most snaps at uh, tackle uh, right there with Charles Cross. Um, I guess Cross had the most. Stone Forsyth was next. He's a sixth-round pick in 21, right? Uh, Anthony Bradford got some snaps at guard. He's a fourth-round pick. Phil Haynes played some guard, another fourth-round pick. Some um, gentleman named Jake Curran, uh, was a UDFA in 2021, uh, got quite a bit of run for them this year. So when you look through, he, 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 he actually got more snaps than Abe Lucas. He had yeah. 296 snaps. So you, you'll look at the grades, you'll look at some of the production, and it'll be a little underwhelming. The Seahawks' offensive line injury situation was actually worse than the Browns. It's crazy to think of. It really because, is. Because it affected the entire unit, not just the tackles. Yeah. And beyond that, the talent starting the season was lower than the Browns. They don't have anybody like Wyatt Teller or Joel Batonio on that roster. Yeah. They had Ethan Postage. They let him go. Now he's here. I, I So I think when the Browns are healthy – It'll be by far 
the most, the big, the greatest collection of talent that Andy Dickerson has worked with as an offensive line coach. And that's exciting. And we think they're going to keep investing in it in the draft this year. They're going to, they're going to keep trying to get a little younger along the interior of this group. And they have three functional tackles and um, an opportunity for a guy like Dickerson to come in and put his thumbprint on this thing and get them back to being maybe perhaps a little influx of running back talent. One of the better groups in the NFL. Again, that should get you excited as a Browns fan that they're on the path to recreating their identity, which needed to happen while still having some of their traditional staples. And in, 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 even though it's older um, collectively, uh, I think a really there's still talent. I, I know we've been down on the O line and the performance of late, but there's clearly still talent. And um, the hope here is that they can get these guys with a fresh perspective on the right page more often, tied in with the running back room. And again, I, as a Browns fan, I think you should feel optimistic about this. We don't come on and you know <laughs> uh, sell you lies. I, that's not our goal here. We've been vocal about replacing Bill Callahan is not something we see as a one on one trade. But as far as what was available and how they had to go about thinking about structuring some different nuances into the run game. I think they did really well here. That's the, that's the message we have. And I think you should be looking forward to it the same way we are to see ultimately what the run game looks like, how it's different and if they can be more effective and efficient overall. So, all right, that's a wrap for the first pod here. Um, we are going to check back in with the mailbag a little bit later and um, go through all your questions. We appreciate you guys sending those over. We'll get to those. Um, in the coming, you know, depending on when we release these podcasts, we'll get to them as soon as we can. That'll be up for you at, at the bare minimum here on Thursday. Uh, we'll have that available. So uh, as we always say, thanks for stopping by, making this podcast a part of your day. Andrew and I appreciate that. Make sure you rate and review the pod on your way out. If you can, if you have not already done so, many of you have. We're approaching like 500 reviews. It'd be really cool to get there. So if you haven't done it, please do that for us. We would really, really appreciate that. Otherwise, be well, have a great day, and go Browns. Go Browns.